0: With AWB Contract Templates.
1: We are going through life with so many of these attachments to our ancestral lineage, and we don't even realize it. And so we're suffering and we're struggling in this present day with problems and challenges that weren't even ours to begin with.
0: Hello, hello, and welcome back to Pause on a Play. As always, it's amazing to see you here where you are challenged to reconsider your normal and consider realities you may be unfamiliar with in order to understand that they too are real. I am your host and conversation MC for the day, Erica Corday, here to get the dialogue going. So (laughs) I had a conversation today that I absolutely loved that I did not expect to be as big of a concept but yet, for it to like, just kind of like, mm-hmm. it was like, hey, you need to talk about this, and yeah. So we're going into inner child wounds, um, as well as where they intersect with ancestral trauma, specifically for those of us that are um, part of the BIPOC community. If you are Black, if you are Indigenous, if you're of color in any way, shape, or form, and th- this is not something that I am unaware of existing. Um, I did not learn about ancestral trauma uh, in my much younger years, like I would have loved to. Um, So it was definitely within probably the past few years or so. And I was like, oh, that's, that's a thing. And then I absolutely recognize and realize like, it's a huge thing. And to kind of begin to have this intersection between it and inner child wounds. Uh, really kind of presented, I was like, okay, that. And I did not think that it would feel as necessary as this conversation made it feel for me. I did not think that it would feel as big because it's something that obviously as a Black woman, I am well aware of You know, healing I have done, healing that there is still to do, how it is that I'm supporting others around me in their own healing, um, how it is that I am a part of supporting my um, children and children that I have access to, that I am part of their support systems of, you know, normalizing healing at a much younger age. There's so much there of just knowing that healing is not always accessible to those of us that have been denied it for so very long. I know that that is a thing. And sometimes there's just another piece of it that shows up that reminds me how many layers there are. And it actually doesn't shut me down. It just makes me even more resolute to really be firm in my understanding that this is important work. It must be done. It is not easy work. And yet there's so much beauty on the other side to be received from it. And so I'm so excited to really invite you into this conversation that I had today with Evelyn. Evelyn, I am just so grateful for everything that she brought. I am so grateful for for meeting her and for being able to uh, continue this so that everyone that is listening or reading can work on their own journey as well. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Evelyn Huen is a inner child life coach specializing in generational trauma healing. She is also a master practitioner and trainer of neuro-linguistic programming, life and success coaching, clinical hypnotherapy, emotional freedom techniques, tapping, and time techniques. She helps her clients break free from the fears and limiting beliefs that hold them back from the life, relationships, and careers they desire. Her mission is to help as many people as possible tap into their fullest potential by making healing fun. So without further ado, let's get into it. We acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the stolen land of the Susquehannock, Piscataway, Nantego people native to this area known as Maryland. Hello, Evelyn. Thank you so much for coming over and talking to me on the podcast today. Welcome, welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Oh my goodness. It is totally my pleasure. So I actually want to just hop right on in here. So one of the things that I found really interesting as I was learning a little bit more about you and what you do was you used a phrase that I was unfamiliar with and so I would like to learn more about it but I think it's something that those that are either reading the article or listening to the episode may or may not be familiar with. So can you tell us what inner child wounds are?
1: Let me preface this by saying that it doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, what gender, race, religion, ethnicity, every single one of us has an inner child. Every single one of us has inner child wounds. So essentially what this means is that your inner child is the part of your mind, which is connected to your subconscious, which stores all of your emotional experiences from childhood. And then it becomes the lens through which you view your current experiences. So we don't just have one inner child we actually have many we have the inner child when we were two the inner child when we were seven the inner child when we were 12 and so they essentially become these parts of us the wounded parts that are still contributing to the things that we do on a daily basis so for example a lot of us have experienced things like you know abuse whether that be emotional mental, physical, you know, a lot of us have experienced social rejection. We have perhaps, you know, had parents who were really disapproving or withheld praise from us. So, it's essentially all the things that we never healed from in childhood that are still affecting us as an adult. The interesting
0: thing about that is that I think I think it could be possible for people to attempt to take this concept and almost give it a should or should not around it. And and I was like, let me let me address if if that's correct. Please tell me if you find that there's the truth in this. I think that what can happen sometimes is we can give ourselves parameters um, around what trauma is or isn't or how we're supposed to process it, what we are or are not supposed to feel things around. And I think the inner child wound should not be something that people quantify as oh no no mine wasn't that bad so it's not a wound so mm. for example for one person they might think um you know i was literally physically abandoned by my caregivers as a child and and literally um you know, went into like a, a foster care system where you might have someone that was like, you know, I had this experience of this, this thing that didn't go well. And I just remembered no one held me. They, They told me to deal with it. They told me to suck it up. And that just really hit me. And so what may, you know, feel like it was impactful for one may not be the same type of impact for another. And I think that, Only you can decide what your trauma is. It's not a big T or a little T. It's just your trauma. And it's really important to allow people to feel whatever it is and to not say, oh, well, mine isn't that bad. I can't allow myself to, 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 to do that. I'm not strong enough and I should be dealing with it better. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, 100%. And I actually do notice that a lot in the work that I do, especially with those of us in the BIPOC community, community, because our entire lives, we've been kind of just used to the same things. Like, for example, I'm first generation Asian Canadian. And so in my culture, Physical abuse is just normal. You know, you would get smacked across the face, or you would get hit with a bamboo stick. And so, for a lot of us, it just becomes this normalized thing. And for a large part of my childhood, it was rec- it was me saying, "Oh, you know, I don't really have childhood trauma because my parents are together. You know, they they provided for me. With no one in, there was no suicide or murder or anything traumatic like that in the family. So then I ended up just almost downplaying the traumas that I did experience, which is actually what held me back from healing. So now that I do this work, I'm such a huge advocate for helping people validate their experiences. Like you mentioned, it doesn't matter big T or little T, trauma is trauma and it varies in types and intensities. And that is the one thing I feel like we all kind of can agree upon is that we all have wounds and we all have hurts. We
0: we do. And I think that you know, whatever it is that you feel like is a thing that somehow impacted the way that you think or feel or or process as an adult, you know, at some point we have to kind of navigate what that is. Mm -hmm. And we have to start by just acknowledging it. But if we can begin that process, then we can at least at that point begin to figure out what's next as opposed yeah. to, oh, it wasn't that bad. Oh, it was better than X, Y, Z. Or, oh, it wasn't that serious. Or, I can't feel bad about this because it wasn't as extreme as someone else's. I think there's a lot of uh, comparisonitis and a lot of minimizing mm-hmm. of it. And the minimizing is there not only to, to kind of, you know, people police themselves of like, oh, no, no, I, I, I have to be stronger than this. But also, it's a way of avoiding the dealing with it.
1: I also feel like it's, in a way, you know, a lot of us want to kind of almost protect our parents. Like, if we do have a decently good relationship with them, I feel like when we admit that we have childhood trauma there's a part of us that almost feels like it's a slap to our parents' face because they did provide so much for us. And so I always say, you know, it's not mutually exclusive. You can have a great childhood and also have childhood wounds and and one doesn't, you know, minimize the other.
0: I'm so glad you said that because I do think that's a thing. I think often it's like trauma means it all has to be terrible. It doesn't mean that there was just something that sat with you or impacted you somehow. It's almost like these things that there can't be a both and. Mm-hmm. And and I I do think that's a big thing. And I want to go back to what you mentioned because I think the 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 piece about trying to protect our parents is is such a huge piece. And I think when we have a level of awareness of what our parents experienced, there is almost this um, p- protecting. Of the person that actually was like, this is the person that gave me this. This was the person that was involved in this situation. And I want to protect you at the same time um, because you know what they went through. But I think that that's where we start hitting that place of almost that ancestral trauma type of piece a little bit. Because this is what you went through and you either tried to do better or maybe we're still trying to figure out what is better and couldn't quite maybe process that because you're trying to heal yourself and not allowing yourself. And so, you know, what is it that I I feel like is kind of overlapping there when there's the inner child wound, but then there's the ancestral trauma? Because again, for those of us that are of color or indigenous in any way, shape or form, there were a lot of things that our ancestors had to do to just survive, let alone consider thriving and being able to not constantly have the threat of violence upon them on a daily basis, which honestly we still have. Mm-hmm. Um, but how is how does that overlap?
1: I feel like it's the deep emotions and the feelings of fear mixed in with deep feelings of guilt and shame. Because there's that guilt that we feel like, oh, my parents provided, did so much. You know, my my family, my oldest aunt, my dad's uh, oldest sister, she left Vietnam at, I think, 14 years old, got on a boat by herself, came to Canada, and then immigrated the rest of the family over, or brought the rest of the family over. So there's, like, deep trauma on both my maternal and paternal side. And so that there's this guilt of, like you know, your life was not that bad compared to your ancestors. Like, what do you need to kind of heal from? And so, you know, the intersection, I think, between the inner child and the generational trauma is that the generational trauma is the root. And, you know, the more that I am creating content on inner child, the more that I'm seeing other people talk about it, I think a really big missing link to inner child healing is that a lot of people, don't talk about and or are not qualified to talk about the generational trauma that is the root cause of inner child.
0: And so when you were saying that, one of the things that I was wondering about is because part of the inner child wounds is the fact that, again, if you had a great childhood, that still has nothing to do with the generational trauma that is passed down genetically Mm -hmm. through the bloodline that, Mm -hmm. you know, everything could have been great, but that still doesn't mean that there's not something there that just provides this uh, level of fear or anxiety that you can never quite understand why it's there, but it always is. Or this um, distrust of certain types of individuals that you don't have a reason to feel that way, but somehow someone in your lineage did, and maybe it got, whatever that thing is, you know, and there's this place of also trying to disengage and and untangle what's physically mine in this life that I've experienced and what was simply passed on.
1: So just kind of get a little bit more on the sciencey side because I know that some people love the facts and data. I think this really helped me kind of understand this on a deeper level, also for myself, is that. Only 2% of our total DNA is chromosomal, which is the color of your skin and the color of your eyes, you know, the hair that you have that's similar to your grandparents. The other 98% is non-coding, which is responsible for your personality traits, your behaviors, your emotions. And it's like wild to think about the fact that that's 98% of your DNA. Which means that there's a large part of you in your programming, in your already in your mind, in your cells, and in your DNA that are pre programmed with emotions and belief systems and personality traits that aren't even yours. And so, when you know, I talk to people nowadays, you know, people are like, I'm understanding generational trauma a little bit more, but I don't know whose is what and what is what. The question that I always ask is. What are the challenges and blocks and struggles that you're currently experiencing? And Mm -hmm. then they'll label it all out. And you know what's wild is that I have never failed to help someone trace their challenges and their problems back. There's not been a single client that I've worked with where the challenges and problems that they've shared with me have been their own which means that Mm. these things have been traced back, whether that be financial trauma. So mishandling money, you know, not feeling worthy of money not being able to call in more abundance, um, impulsive spending, whether that be weight issues, you know, body dysmorphia, body image, eating habits, eating disorders, whether, you know, every single wheel of life I have been able to see this been traced back. So for me, as just someone who's curious of the world, it makes me kind of see people very differently. Every single one of us I've realized is we're going through life with so many of these attachments to our ancestral lineage and we don't even realize it. And so we're suffering and we're struggling in this present day with problems and challenges that weren't even ours to begin with.
0: I think most people don't pause long enough to not only, first of all, most people don't pause long enough to even figure out what is really the thing. They're really just looking at the symptoms versus the disease. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I noticed that I don't like you using some of the examples that you gave, like, you know, I don't like how my money is as opposed to being like, okay, well, let me maybe examine my spending. And then let me examine if there's any stories. Let me examine Mm -hmm. if these stories are mine. Like that's a level of pulling apart and really tracing it down to the root Mm -hmm. that isn't often done. And I think it's because there's a level of of fear around it. Because what does that mean about me Mm -hmm. when I begin to break these things apart and I'm uncovering things. What does that mean about those that matter to me? And people start to worry about their kind of, you know, stories of origin and uh, experiences up until this point in life unraveling. And somehow there's this fear of like, okay, so if all of those things happen, what's left? What does that mean about me? What does that, you know, say about who or how I am and you know how do people then process me? How do I process myself? I think it can kind of become this almost very scary thing of like, so what happens when I do that? You know what I mean? What's left?
1: Yeah, I think that it's the whole perspective shift, right? Some people are so terrified because they've been living life on autopilot in this one way. And so to realize that this isn't who I am. I've just been carrying these on. It's terrifying because some of these people might be what they feel like in later years in life, which, you know, even if you're forties and fifties, you still got so much life left to live in this time period now. But I also think there's the flip side where it's like you for the first time get to choose who you want to be free Mm -hmm. from these masks and these molds that have been, painted for you. One of my main mottos is forge, not follow. Most of us are following a path that has been paved for us through our ancestors, through our culture, through our religion, through society. And then we go down this path and then one day we get to this point, you know, especially in this pandemic, I think that's what a lot of people have been struggling with is that this pandemic forced a lot of our shadows to come up and Mm -hmm. forced a lot of the things that we've been pushing and suppressing subconsciously to come to the surface and people have, you know, been quitting their jobs left and right. They realize that this didn't fulfill them, that didn't fulfill them. And now it's like, okay, well what does fulfill me? And for one, it might be really debilitating and terrifying. And then for the other, it might be freeing and liberating.
0: Right. Right. And so that being said, obviously none of us are a monolith. We're all Processing our experiences and trying to navigate day to day as best as we can right. in that moment, because our capacity to do that <laughs> is always changing. And yeah. so, are there any unexpected ways that the inner child wounds will will show up, um, or the unexpected ways that that intersection of where the inner child wounds and ancestral trauma? Um, really shows up for those of us that are um, indigenous or of color. Mm-hmm. What are some of those ways that in your adult life that shows up and you're like, oh shit, I didn't, did not expect that. You know, that was not what I thought.
1: Yeah. I think the main areas that it usually shows up when, which also surprises a lot of people is relationships is the number one. Number mm-hmm. two is career. And then number three is more of the, personal, you know, mindset, body area. And because a lot of people haven't been taught, you know, our education system, at least for me, I was never taught with generational trauma and inner oh, no. childhoods where I was never even no. taught what mental health was, right? Nope. So I'm not surprised that a lot of people don't have these tools. So I uh, earlier, you mentioned the the topic of fear, I do believe there's fear. And I also do believe we were just not equipped with these tools at a young age. Because if we were, I think the world would look very, very different right now. But you know, kind of going back to your question of wh- the unexpected ways is that it shows up in every single relationship dynamic relationship with your partner relationship with your family relationship with your money relationship with your body. And all the things that you know majority of people struggle with whether it be abandonment wounds, trust wounds, codependency, things like that, the root of that is often inner child and generational trauma and a lot of people don't realize that that's actually what's being at play. A lot of people just think I'm messed up, I'm broken. You know, I'm I'm fear intimacy. It's like no, honey, like you actually experienced all these things that led up to this point that you don't even realize.
0: And that's where I I do find that for most of us, and I'm not even ex- excluding myself here, I think we will experience life. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll just think, oh, this didn't work because of this, or this wasn't a good fit because of this. And very rarely it, it, do any of us pause to really consider, is this playing out this way? Because of something that I experienced as a child that left the wound or based on trauma that was passed down to me that I didn't personally experience but is still a part of my experience. I don't think that ever comes up.
1: No. I mean... For, I would say, 90% of the population, I think for some of us who have devoted our life to doing this work, you know, I'm I'm a lot more aware now in my day-to-day and, you know, that pausing happens a lot more in my life now because I've been almost conditioned now. Like, I had to pre-program, reprogram my mind to be able to think this way. But majority of people are on that autopilot. They're going through life in this, like blinder with blinders on, but also kind of not only just blinders, but also blinded. And then it's just one day they wake up and they're like, what have I been doing all my life? You know, why are these things happening? And unfortunately, a lot of people have never been given the safe space to pause because a lot of us, especially in the BIPOC community, have just lived our entire lives in this fight or flight, right? Everything has been based off survival. And so that pausing can actually be very, very hard. Like my mom, my mother, she cannot pause to save her life. You know, she's that type of woman where she'll be sleeping and then she'll get a random thought and then she'll have to walk herself downstairs to go finish off and do that thing. That being able to pause and slow down just doesn't happen for her.
0: Well, and I'm glad that you mentioned that because I do think that um, even though here we often talk about pausing, I want to acknowledge that pausing is also something that for some people is a privilege. Mm-hmm. That that availability to physically one be able to pause from a safety standpoint isn't always accessible. Two from an emotional standpoint, it can feel like if I pause and I stop, somehow something's gonna catch me and I can't. Mm-hmm. Or using like the, and these aren't the, the only ways, but these are just like three examples, or like what you mentioned with your mom, and that if something comes. For me, that I need to do, or I have remembered, or a responsibility, or an obligation, or an idea, I must act now. Because what does it say about me if I don't? Or the idea won't come back if people worry about like their creative muse visiting. They're like, if I don't respond, it won't come back, or I'm going to forget. And what happens if I forget? Am I going to get in in trouble? Am I going to be behind? You know. Uh, Culturally, you know, does this mean that I am not a a doting mother? Does this mean that I am not a a loving um, wife? Insert the stories here, and pausing isn't something that is like a oh well, just pause. It's not always that easy, and I want to just acknowledge that I don't ever want anyone to think that pausing is something that if you cannot pause for any reason that that means mm-hmm. that somehow something is wrong with you or it is your fault. It is mm-hmm. if you can and when you can, there are moments mm-hmm. that we can access certain things, but it is just trying to find that accessibility to do what we can, when we can.
1: Yeah. Which I feel like a lot of us don't even um, have never learned what that space looks like.
0: No. No, I can't think of anyone of color that has ever felt like, like, I feel like words more like lazy. Come Mm -hmm. on. It's, it's never, you know, or selfish, uh, selfish is a huge one. It's a huge one. It's never that space of, you know, let me just think or let me contemplate or, oh, it's fine if I don't do that thing right now. That is toted as a character flaw. Yeah. which honestly is just another symptom of white supremacy
1: that mm-hmm. was
0: designed to control us and, to, and to, to be deployed for us to control one another as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100% agree.
0: It's easier to fit in than stand out, but fitting in doesn't create a legacy. Bi-weekly, India Jackson, co-founder of Pause on a Play, has conversations exploring branding and visibility. Own your values and amplify your influence by giving the Flaunt Your Fire podcast a to follow today. Healing is no small feat. It requires time. It requires effort. It's a lot of work. And doing this type of work also requires that you allow your body, your mind, your spirit, and your soul to rest. Your nervous system can use the break in order to be able to continue doing its work and to serve you at its highest level. Our allyship sound meditation concert created by Natasha Freeman of Lucid Living is one of the evergreen resources that exists inside of Pause on the Play the Community. A sound meditation is something that will help you to rest, allow your nervous system to relax just a little, or a lot if you can even let it go there, but it absolutely supports you in being able to access restorative rest, and relaxation. You can access this at any time by becoming a member of Pause on the Play, the community. And you can do that right now by visiting com forward slash community. We're ready, waiting for you. I think that, you know, we often talk a lot about imperfect allyship and, you know, it's not just about, being an ally to someone that doesn't look live or love like you. It's also someone that maybe does identify similarly to you in some ways, but not in all of the ways. So when we talk about intersectionality, someone else may belong to, let's say the LGBTQIA plus community along with you, but they, you may be white, they may be black, they may be indigenous. You, you could be Asian. It could be anything, but it's understanding that there's some similarities, but you're also not identical. And I'm wondering if the inner child wounds would impact someone's ability to receive support and allyship from someone that is attempting to be an imperfect ally.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. I think, you know, the core wounds that usually show up when it comes to inner child wounds is the wound and the feeling of not being good enough. And so when you kind of mix in that core fear and that core wound with also potential, let's say, trust issues, you know, that definitely can affect the way that you receive that because you might not think that you are worthy of receiving that allyship, Um and or you know, there, there's so many other factors at play, but I would say that was probably the big one.
0: Mm. I I do think that trust is a huge one because if you're having difficulty being able to trust anyone, then being able to be supported, I don't think that you can have that happen without at least a certain amount of trust.
1: A hundred percent, because you feel like, you know, sometimes there's, in, it, and it's not something that we can consciously comprehend. Sometimes it's just this feeling in our body that's like, like, why are you doing this? You know, there has to be something that you want out of this. And so then we kind of block ourselves off to receiving because we don't ex- exactly know if the other person's intentions are pure or X, Y, and Z. Right. Well,
0: and I, so when, even with you saying that, I think it's important to understand that um, when we think about whether or not someone's intentions are pure, it's worthwhile to acknowledge that sometimes even our Intentions are not always pure because sometimes mm-hmm. we just simply need something for ourselves. Yes. And if someone is supporting you because that's what you need, if mm-hmm. we go by that purity standard, then yours aren't pure. And so I think it's worthwhile to even just think like, mm-hmm. OK, when we consider like, are your intentions pure? You know, how legitimate of a a a kind of standard to compare this to is that? Because yeah. we're all doing things from a certain sense of self, yeah. whether, you know, and obviously there are definitely pieces that are like full-blown selfish or full-blown self-serving, but where we do things because, you know, it, it makes us feel good to support others or it makes us feel good to be able to um, share the access that we have or to amplify or give what you didn't have to someone else. And that, but that doesn't all of a sudden mean that, Mm-hmm. because it's, let's say, not 100% altruistic to this very uh, puritanical standard, that it's not valid either. And I think that that's important so that we don't end up talking ourselves out of receiving something. Yes. Because we're like, oh, it's not good enough. Can't do that. <laughs> Perfectionism is like, no, no, can't.
1: <laughs> yeah, and like a little twist onto, you know, the question that you had asked me, I have also noticed, especially in the past two years, where inner child wounds has really shown up and prevented, I don't even I don't know if the right word is prevented or have held people back from being allies. Mm. And I mm. noticed this a lot in the white community because when you know a lot of things happened in the last two years, you know, they being a feeling like they're being attacked or pressured to speak on certain things and not having the tools or the resources. I started noticing that a lot of them shut down, or they just like, you know, left, or you know, stopped their businesses, or was just kind of dispersed from the scene. And after having conversations with some of these, and actually working with some of these people, I started noticing that there were so many emotions and and wounds and triggers of them not feeling good enough because we all. That's the one thing I, I realized: no matter what race, religion, and gender, culture that we, that we are in is that we all, there's a deep part of us that doesn't feel like we're good enough. And when I was Mm -hmm. talking to these people, it just kind of made me look at things a little differently. And it was like their own inner child wounds was holding them back and almost in a way preventing them from being able to be an ally because they didn't even know how to. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. And, and, and that's the thing. I think that when we go down that rabbit hole of right. the giving and receiving of allyship, it that's why at least for us, it's been so important to put the imperfection there because it has always felt like if you're not doing this right, if you're not doing this ideally and perfectly, don't do it. You can't do it. You don't have mm-hmm. the permission to do it. You're doing it wrong, which will automatically shut people down and they'll do nothing. But there is absolutely nowhere in our lives that we do anything perfectly, nothing. And so to put it in such a pivotal area where support and resources and uh, rerouting of of energies and opportunities and access must happen to ignore, oh, if you're not going to do this right, don't do it at all. It's like, huh? Yeah. No, no, that doesn't, that doesn't help. On top of the fact that if we think about it from the perspective of, let's say, sports or cooking, pretty much any type of of skill, you're not perfect the first time you do it. You're not. And if you don't continue to do it, you won't get better at it. And so if you allow that imperfection Or opportunity for growth, which is what it really is, to be the reason that you no longer continue, then nothing changes. And if that isn't white supremacy, I don't know what
1: it is. That is so true. Just mic drop. (laughs) Like, stop it. (laughs) So
0: I, of course, when we get closer toward the end of the episode... I love being able to hear from you what is it that is the one action that you would have the listeners or the article readers take after the episode uh, based on this conversation, something that they've learned, something that's kind of just been like, ooh, that. You know, if they were to take one action in order to create change, what would you suggest for them?
1: the one that keeps popping up because I was kind of dabbling between a few, but the one that keeps popping up and the word that keeps popping up is family history. I think that's very specific to the work that I do because the majority of the people that I come across and work with, you know, we don't really take that extra second to take a look at our family history. A lot of us, you know, know a little bit, but we haven't really asked questions about it. We haven't allowed ourselves to kind of spend some time with it and our family history, um, you know, is a large part of our life. And so a lot of us try to go through life achieving our goals, and we try to move forward. And then we wonder why we keep holding back being held back, I'm almost, almost like a rubber band that's holding us back. And a large part of that and the, the answers and the key is in our family history. So the one action that I would encourage everyone to take is, you know, see if you can Carve out just a little bit of time in your day, whenever you know that works for you, and just spend a little bit of time with your family history. Whether that be just in a meditation, whether that be talking out loud with someone, whether that be writing this down in a notebook or journal, I want you to just take a look at your maternal and your paternal lineage. Just start asking questions about, you know, what did my parents go through? What did my grandparents go through? And then if you want to take this one step further, start thinking about the things that you are currently experiencing challenges in your life right now and see if you can make those connections. What I've noticed that this has done for a lot of people is it helps you harness a deeper level of compassion as well as forgiveness and love for your family history, your story, as well as for you.
0: I love that. And I am so grateful (laughs) that you mentioned that because I would... I wouldn't have even thought about that. And I I can clearly feel even for myself where it could foster a better level of understanding of what I've experienced, um, how I feel about myself, the kind of perception of family members, as well as, you know, with me being a parent, you know, how do I want to even shift things and kind of pass that awareness on? Because unfortunately, that's a big piece. Like I'm not an elder quite yet, but so many things die with our elders. And I don't want that. And so I think there's a great opportunity for those of us that are a little bit younger to be able to figure out how can I plant those elder seeds before I become the elder.
1: Yes. I love that. Love this.
0: Love this. This was so good, Evelyn. I am so glad that you had this conversation with me. I'm so glad that you do the work that you do. Mm -hmm. So- Before we go, I know that everyone is going to be curious as well to continue to learn more about what inner child wounds are, how it it is that for those of us that are uh, BIPOC, how it is that it intersects with ancestral trauma for us. Just everything that it is that you do to support Mm -hmm. people and you as a human. So where is it that the people can learn more about Evelyn?
1: Yeah, so you can find me on all the platforms uh, Spotify, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, as well as my website, all under Evolve with Evelyn. So make it super simple. And I do have a signature session which is called the spark session which is my signature inner child and generational trauma healing session. I do have 100% client success rate and that's something that I'm very very proud of and so this is a session where, you know, I help deep dive with you and kind of clear away any the main energetic blocks from ancest ancestrally as well as in your inner child, your childhood wounds. And what I love what I would love to offer your listeners is if you mention that you come from this podcast, I am more than happy to give a $222 discount to everyone who's here listening.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah. That is so kind of you. Okay. And we will also make sure that we make note of that inside of the article so that once people go on over and check you out, which I know they will, that they will be able to look into your signature service, let you know that they heard you here on the podcast with me and they can receive that benefit to have them go ahead and book with you to receive their own step and movement forward in their own journey with their inner child wounds, their ancestral trauma, and how we can all figure out how to heal just a little bit more.
1: (laughs) Yes. Um, I'll send you over the um, link specifically, and then the promo code that you guys will be using will be PAUSE.
0: Awesome, awesome. Perfect, perfect. Thank you again so so much Evelyn for everything, for being here, your time, your energy, your expertise, your your heart. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Erica.
0: This is such a great conversation. And again, like that moment that Evelyn mentioned of let's let's go in and do some work on really just getting in touch with our our history, our lineage. I, I think it's so important. And I think being able to have that moment to do that is such a pivotal piece of our healing. And I'm so glad that it's on my radar. And I'm so glad that now knowing Evelyn and having brought her here to the show so that you know her as well, It is hopefully something that whether it's now or later when you come back and listen to this episode and you feel like you're able to do it if you can in this moment, that you know that healing is accessible for you and it is your birthright. So for every single time that we show up here having real conversations and normalizing the challenging things so that we can make them a part of our everyday exchanges, I thank you. Together, this is how we remove stigma and create real change and connection, crossing lines and creating boundaries together to support, not separate. Together, let's continue to get more people dropping the veil by challenging their thoughts, feelings, actions, and state of being. So till the next time, keep the dialogue going. Bye.